you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? We've got a bunch of fighters here that just, we, we've been underdogs the entire time. No one's ever wanted to, no one ever thought that we were going to win, so. Uh. Hey! Fancy punchy show. This is new. Yeah! Let's go! Hand that three, hand that three! One, two, three! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the New Egypt Warrior Boys Soccer Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Warriors Soccer Podcast. Um, our guest today is a, is a really special guest. We have Coach Charlie Inverso. Uh, coach Inverso has been an assistant coach at Rutgers uh, and at Princeton University, where he worked with former U.S. men's national team and current LAFC coach Bob Bradley. He's been the U.S. men's national team's U15 goalkeeper coach. He spent 24 years at Mercer County Community College as the head coach, where he won five national championships and became the second winningest JUCO coach of all time. He's currently the head coach of Ryder University where he has led the team to three NCAA tournament appearances and three MAC championships. In addition, he is also the founder of Mooch Soccer, which provides opportunities to play soccer for inner-city youths. So that was a bit of a mouthful there, Coach, but is there anything I missed? No. No, I, no we, can, we can get on with it, Matt. That's very kind. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it was a little bit uh, – I, I had to do some homework, a little research to get you know, through all this. You know, you've uh, – You've been in the game, and we're, we're really excited to have you on um, and to have someone with such a wealth of experience and knowledge talking to our guys today. No, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to, to talking and interacting with the guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll start at the, you know, the very beginning. Um, you know, as we all know, this isn't our, our number one sport in the country. You know, although it's always constantly improving. We're doing a much better job than we have in the past. Um, but everyone, I feel like everyone in this country that is a soccer fan has some kind of story about how they – they got into the game. So when did you start playing and, and you know, what kind of made you fall in love with the sport? Um, I started playing in fifth grade. Uh, now just understand that I'm, I'm I turned 63 a couple weeks ago. And, and so now um, it, 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 it's a lot different than um, when your, your players on New Egypt mm -hmm. um, were playing, but um, yeah, I started playing in fifth grade and then kind of dropped out of it for a while and then picked it up back in high school but the one the one thing i do remember about well anything about that's tied to the to the mercer county area is is that um the best athletes back then wanted to wanted to play soccer because uh there was a lot of for lack of a lack of a better term there was a lot of street credibility for, for the guys that played soccer because the local newspapers covered it um you know so so readily and so heavily so um yeah, that that was my start to the game. That, that's what I remember most about how you know. All, I guess you'd say all the cool guys wanted to play soccer back then, <laughs> so everybody wanted to be a part of it. Awesome, yeah, uh, yeah, and it definitely you know it, it's picking up and it's picking up steam. I remember you know, and the amount that's on TV has changed dramatically, even from when I you know started watching. I mean, I remember you know having to find weird streams at weird times of day to to try to watch you know uh, an EPL game, and now. You, you, you know, even with quarantine yeah. going on, you can't you can't not find a game going on. So it's definitely, yeah. definitely evolving and changing. So um, 
we'll move on from there. You know, you, you played at a, a Notre Dame high school, which we won't hold against you. Um, <laughs> and and you went to um, you went on to play in college. But when did you know you were going to be a coach, and how did you kind of break into that profession? Yeah, probably at probably at age sixteen. Um, I knew I I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, if I um, I taught phys ed um, in Hamilton school system for uh, for a long time, uh, and I, I kind of knew that was the pathway that I wanted to take. And uh, I I was lucky, coach. I would say I was lucky that I that I figured out early what I wanted to do in life. Um, and I kind of I. I just, probably not good advice to pass on to your players, but I kind of started eliminating the things that I knew would never really uh, be beneficial to me later on in life. So um, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, thinking about sports and, and less time thinking about physics and chemistry and everything else. But I don't want your players to, to follow them in, uh, in my pathway. But I, I knew very early and I, and I was fortunate mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you can at that, you know, I was kind of the same way. I knew I always wanted to be a teacher and uh, I did what I couldn't, you know, I had to do in math and things like that. And, you know, you can still focus on one thing and be successful, but, you know, you got to have that, the other things around it, you know, um, the backup plans and the, you know, the things you need to do to, to get the degree and stuff like that. So no, I, 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 as long as you, if you're willing to put the time into it, I think, I don't think that is bad advice at all. If you're going to put passion and, you know, and, and, all the things you need to do to be successful, you know, and, and look how you, you've turned out and made a career out of it. Um, yeah. but oh, that does not mean all of you should not do your physics homework though. You're right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, listen, a, a lot of times we, we just, we have to live our life outside the box because, uh, otherwise we're trapped, you know, and if, if, if all we're doing is, is following a, a textbook and, and following what, what people tell us to do in, in life, um, you know, then, then we've become trapped a little bit. And so any of the guys that are listening, if they've, you know, they've got some creative ideas and uh, about things that they really love. Um, yeah, if you're good enough at it or for me, I don't know if I'm good enough at it, but I, I, I put enough time into it to be good enough. And, um, yes, you, you, you can, you can make a living out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so you did, you have made a living at it. You, you've been incredibly successful. Um, yeah. and I remember you going to some of your, your camps at Mercer County community college. Um, you know, um, we used to go there when I was playing in high school and we had some of the, the camps in the summer and the APH and things like that. Um, and I always loved going to the place. I think you had great facilities there. Um, what, what experience did you have that were unique to coaching in, in that kind of program, the JUCO program? Uh, and if you had to point to three things that really made you successful at Mercer County community college, what do you, what would you uh, say they would be? Um, so what I, what I got out of Mercer, the experience I got out of Mercer, um, that the kid, that your, your players might be interested in is that, that I got to work with, um, some guys that kind of, for lack of a better term, fell through the cracks and the guys that weren't great students. Um, we had our share of international guys and, um, they, a lot of the guys took, advantage of of an opportunity that they know they normally wouldn't uh wouldn't get and and so um you know there there, there seems to be less and less opportunity so there, there seems to be a widening of the gap of opportunity um in, in america and um for your guys um uh, the, the 
the best experience that I got out of Mercer outside of winning um, was uh, just to just to feel like you you help somebody who you know normally wouldn't get that chance. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a really great feeling. Yeah, and that's definitely been a part of your your mo with um, with you know Mercer, but then also Mooch Soccer. Uh, do you want to talk a bit a little bit about Mooch Soccer? Yeah, so I mean, it, it, again, if I'm trying to pass along life lessons, Coach, I, I, I would say um, you know I have a daughter who just graduated from University of Maryland, and she's she's um, taken a a pretty unique uh, path in life. She she uh, wants to counsel children that have been um, permanently disfigured and so she wants to not only counsel them and and uh, you know br- bring back their confidence and, and their spirit but also counsel their families and and uh, she's not exactly at her dream job right now but she she did get a job at, at one of the best children's hospitals in in the country um and so in a in a roundabout way what, I, what i'm telling your guys is you know no matter how busy you get with your career and your job and your family and everything else, one, you don't really feel whole until you, until you really stick your neck out for somebody else and, and, and help somebody else. Um, that's, that's when you start to feel good about yourself. That's when you start to feel, to feel whole. Uh, and, um, I, I think th- this generation gets, gets the bad message and, and, you know, they're, they're, we send the message out that just be concerned about yourself and, and not to others. And the other thing that uh, I would say is, is that um, sometime in your lifetime, start something that's new, start, start something that's never, never been done before. And, and, you know, Moot Soccer is a program that does um, things for inner city kids in, in Trenton and it, it, it had never been done before. And, and so it kind of feels good to, to have something unique and do something unique. That's awesome. You know, and that kind of leads right into my next question. You have, you know, um, we came to talk soccer, but of course, you know, we all know that as coaches, we're not here just to be like, Hey, this is what a defender does. This is what we should be doing in the press. We're here to, you know, teach life lessons. And, you know, I think you brought up some fantastic points. Um, And I'm glad these guys are getting to hear that, but I also kind of want to look back now with the guys that inspired you to, to, you know, um, to help you out and mentored you throughout your coaching career and your life. Um, you've had some, you've been around some, you know, big time names, you know, the most that we've talked about, you know, is uh, coach Bob Bradley, who I really admire and you have a great relationship with. So who have been some of your biggest mentors uh, during your coaching career? And where's, what are some of the best advice you've received from them? I mean, I've had three, uh, I'm listening my, my, my parents, my dad, didn't know much about sports, but he knew that I loved it. And so he, uh, he did everything he could, um, to make me uh, get, get, uh, an experience and a benefit from it. But I mean, uh, clearly your parents are your, are, are your role models. Um, I've had three outstanding role models and, and your gang is, is too young to remember Mooch Marnick, but he coached, um, he was the assistant coach for the United States in 2002 which was our best showing in the World Cup. And he was also assistant coach for, for the U.S. in 2006. And, and at the age of 51, about three months after the World Cup, he, he died suddenly. Um, but Mooch was, a, Mooch was a, fa- a fabulous guy. And, and with all the experience he had um, as college player of the year and, and experiencing um, 
two World Cups as an assistant coach and also coached Colorado in the MLS. He was one. Um, Bob Bradley uh, has been my friend for 30 years. Um, he, he's, a, he's an amazing guy. It's a shame that both he and Michael look so um, grumpy and dour uh, <laughs> whenever the camera is panned on them because they're two of the the two of the greatest people you'll you'll ever meet. Um, if I could just digress a little bit, I'm, I'll give you a story about Bob Bradley. Is that I have a I have a 19 year old son with Down syndrome. When he was eight, he was selected to light the torch at the Special Olympics opening in in New Jersey. Um, and and it was an amazing moment um, for me and my family. And I sent out an email to about 50 close friends. Um, about that. And at the time, uh, Bob was in South Africa preparing to play Spain, um, who was the number one team in the world. And on a, one of those old junkie blackberries, he, he wrote an entire paragraph and he was the first one to respond. Um, and that felt like that's the kind of guy that he is. Um, he, you know, that's what makes him such a great coach is he's just a great human being and, and, his players know that, that he, he cares about him. Um, he's, a, he's an interesting guy to be around because he's dead on honest. Um, but after you, after he, you know, tells you what he wants to tell you, if it stings for a couple seconds, you realize that he's right and you realize that he's, he's doing it to make you better. But the best, probably the best mentor I've ever had is Manfred Shellshine, who's uh, 77 years old and widely considered um but at least by us in new jersey the the greatest soccer coach in the history of of the u.s and he's taught so many people including bruce arena bob bradley chris armis jesse marsh all so many people have learned from manfred um his tree uh i mean his tree you could never landscape because the the, the amount of people that he's contacted and had influence on um and and he did it all, except for when he was a full time coach. You see, know, he did it all for free. Never charged a, a nickel for for uh, playing for his club team or or anything else that he did. He's uh, if you guys ever get a chance to look him up or or hear him talk or, or be around him, um, it's it 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 would be an amazing experience. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely look into that. We definitely have a lot of options in you know with our with Google Drive and these things. We we'll, we'll check that out. Um, yeah. He probably, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he, you know, once he's, he's, uh, he's not as good with technology and, um, but once he, he figures it out, it is, you know, I, I think if he had the time, he probably would get all of you guys. Wow. I mean, if you can get, uh, you get us a connection there, coach, we would, we'd love to have him on. That'd be, that'd be really amazing. Okay. I'll, I'll speak to him on Monday. We, we actually have a Zoom conference uh, with coaches every Monday. It's Manfred and Jim Barlow from Princeton and um, our assistant coaches at Ryder. And, you know, on, on any given day, you have like Richie Williams from the New England Revolution will jump on. And one of the many people that, that Manfred is, is connected with. Um, and, yeah, we have a Zoom conference every Monday and just and just talk about soccer. And it's uh, – I tell you what, it starts your day out great. It's a great way to start the day when you when you talk about something that you love. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. You know, with those heavy hitters, that's cool. that's really special. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, oh, sorry. So, 
Sorry. No, keep going. Oh, no, no, that was, it was just, um, you know, the, just those three guys were, I've had some, a lot of other uh, mentors and role models, but those three, uh, for sure, were, were, were the most, uh, I guess, the, the most influential uh, on my career. Yeah, and, and I think that's another important message, not just that how great these guys were, but that you surround yourself with such great people. Um, and we really talk a lot about that within our programs that, you know, the, the company to keep, that you keep the people that you're around are, are going to influence your actions and your decisions and, and being surrounded with such positive and, and influential people that, you know, have really, you know, not only impacted, like you said, your life, but just the, the culture of U.S. soccer you know, across the board and so many lives, players and people around them. And just, you know, that story about Bob is just, you know, so amazing. You know, there's, there's you think about these people and they're doing big things, but to take a second, you know, and those Blackberries were not easy to type on. I know a lot of our guys don't recognize <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah. but. The buttons are really tiny, but you know, just taking a moment out and how how special and impactful that can be. Um, just sending that extra text yeah. or just you know calling somebody when they need it. That's that's really an awesome story. Yeah, I mean, it was you know for me, I've been worried about um, NES or Javi, but you know, I mean, he <laughs> took the time to, to to crank that out on his BlackBerry. So yeah, he's a, he's a special guy and really really cares about people. That that's awesome. Um, so. It's it's easy to do these things, right? In in a in a, in a vacuum, it's easy to do the nice thing, the right thing, one time, two times. It's easy to be a really good player or coach for a game or two. Um, but you've had such a long and successful career, um, you know that's that's still going. You know, having had such a long and successful run, how have you been able to stay motivated year after year? And can you point to like specific a specific moment or maybe like moments that reinvigorate your love for the game? Um. <laughs> well, you, I mean, all you have to do is ask my family because I'm I'm thinking about soccer all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm the kind of person that at, at dinner is, you know, when when someone says, you know, could you could you pass the, the you know the string beans? I'll, I'll hand them the ketchup bottle because I'm not thinking about uh, really. I'm, I'm always kind of off somewhere thinking about soccer. I, I don't know, coach. It's, it's for me, it's just, it's what I wake up and it's what I want to do, um, every day. Um, and it's, uh, you know, honestly, it's, I, I do go to bed. Um, and, and I do say, I can't wake up. I can't wait to wake up tomorrow because I got some, some things to do. Um, and so that part is, is maybe the, the message I would give to the, to the guys out there is, is, you know, find something that, that invigorates you and find something that's a, that's a passion. And if you can combine it with being able to make a living and even more so, if you can connect with people and, and, and help somebody, you know, I think you hit a home run on that. So, um, it's, it's not hard to, to stay excited. Um, so this will be, this will be 40 years uh, of coaching. I start this, uh, this fall and, I don't know. Sometimes I think, what am I going to do next? But I, I don't know. I don't. At, at least today, I don't see the end in sight. <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think that you know brings up. I'm going to skip ahead to another question I had for you, because um, I think we have a lot of you know we're, we're very similar in that. You know, I. I have to not have the phone at the dinner table because I'm trying to watch a game or I'm trying to you know respond to a player's text or do this or that or other thing. My wife, who's not a soccer fan by any stretch of the imagination, uh, you know, it, it stretches her patience yeah. a little bit. But yeah, it, it's it yeah. it is uh, your a, a passion and it's easy to, easy to go to work and 
and get up when you do love what you're doing. Um, but there is a, a balance. And, I, I, you know, I, I think before we get into more player-specific stuff, this one's kind of for me, you know, how do you balance a home and a work life in regards to preparation? I think the day before a game or the you know week of a game, you're watching film, you're doing scouting reports, you're prepping your training sessions to, you know, for to, to align them to what you're trying to do. Um, when do you know you've properly watched enough film, schemed, or written the best lineup and that you can go to bed and, and feel good about, you know, moving forward? <laughs> I mean, I use work hoping you have an answer because I can't. So. Um, uh, and, and that's what makes, like, things like Netflix so uh, so valuable because uh, then, then you can just put something on without having to think too much. But I, I would I would say one of the things I believe strongly in is, is pacing yourself through a season because you always want to be playing your best, you know, when that second week in October comes around and, and for yourself coach and for the guys on the team, <clears throat> certainly guys, this is not a, uh, an alibi to say, well, you know, that inversion guy said that we need more time off during the season and this and that, but you, you do need to, to pace yourself during the season. It's, High school soccer and college soccer don't really make much sense because it's an entire season compacted into about 12 weeks and you can really hit the wall quickly. And the problem is you don't see it. Um, and sometimes when you hit the wall, it's, it's hard to get back because there's, there's just, just no respite and there's no, there's no break from it. And so, um, that would be my advice is during the season both for you coach and, and for, uh, for your players is, you know, be economical in, in how you, uh, and how you do things and, you know, get, get your rest and get your mental rest. The day of a game, if we have a game at night, um, I just stay home and to be honest with you, I, I, I try to relax because I, I want to go into a game with like tons of energy and I want to make sure that, I, that I've got that energy during the game. Otherwise I'm sure change myself and the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, yeah, kind of what I'm, the message I'm getting is, you know, you can prep and prep and prep, but if that at the moment of when you actually have to execute, you're you're drained. There's, you know, all that preparation really doesn't mean much. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta save yourself, and and certainly you have to have enough energy once the whistle blows. Right, just don't tell it to my wife and give her more ammunition. So, <laughs> so, okay, we'll get now in a little bit more about, you know, from the player perspective and some of the things I think some of the guys want to hear about, um, especially the guys that, you know, are looking to play at the next level. Um, when you're recruiting a player, um, what are like the top three things you're looking for in general? And then maybe you can get maybe more, maybe some specifics about position, like what do you like to see out of your goalkeeper or someone that can play out of the back or you know, has this particular trait? So the top three in general, and then maybe a little more specific to uh, positional players when you're recruiting. I mean, clearly you want to look, no, there's, there's just different for, for college. There's just different levels, um, of, of players. So, you know, the, the first level would be a guy that's on a big scholarship. Um, and then there's no, there's no right or wrong answer for that one. It's, it, you know, it's position based and, but it's, it's a guy that, that, that you think is, is worthy of a, of a big scholarship. Mm-hmm. You know, Along the next level would be a guy that's that's a low money scholarship, and then the you know the the other level would be a guy that that would be a non scholarship player, and and so that finding the guys 
or at least making a decision on what you're looking for for a, a big money scholarship guy is, is is not much of a decision. It's either yeah, I like them or, or I don't. Um, and even the same thing with a um, with a low money scholarship player or a non scholarship player. Essentially, what you want to do is look at the player and say, by the time he's a sophomore, can he be in the in the top sixteen or or top eighteen? Um, because, you know, then there's also a term of roster spot or a roster guy. And, you know, we try to, st- we're trying to stay away from roster guys. Um, but if a guy is going to be a roster guy, uh, so for example, in high school, I-, I was on the basketball team and I was happy just to be on the bench and, mm-hmm. and you know, have the uniform and everything else. If a guy's going to be a roster guy, you have to make sure you're getting the right guy. Because if it's a guy that's a malcontent, um, he's going to find some other guys who aren't so happy either, and, and it's, it's going to make you know it's going to make for bad team chemistry. So there's kind of three or four different levels, um, and you know I would say that the, the gauge or the criteria would be: is, is there a guy that's going to be in the in the top sixteen or top eighteen on your team by the time they're a sophomore? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, anything for specific uh, positions? Like, you know, what, what are you looking for in goalkeepers, defenders, mids? You know, is there any particular traits that is going to make someone stand out a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, for a goalkeeper, you like a leader. And um, this may be vague in a roundabout way. Uh, but in the end, I'm going to I'm gonna select a goalkeeper, I think, that can win games for us. Mm-hmm. And and so there's, there's some – there's some different traits in that they're not as easy uh, or is not as tangible to, uh, to see. I mean, it's, it, it's easy to get caught up in, in the eye candy of a goalkeeper. So a guy at six, four, um, can, can very easily, um, you know, catch your eye, but, um, we, you know, we look, look to find guys that are that just have the ability to, uh, to, to help win your games. And I, I don't know if you remember, from Robbinsville High School, David Pastuna. I mean, he would have. Um, David was played for us at, at Ryder. Um, it was a, was uh, somebody that I, I live in Robbinsville, and I had never heard of Dave before. Mm-hmm. Um, and went to high school and sat with his coach and his AD and said, uh, "You know, you have a roster spot, but I I can't guarantee that you'll you'll ever see the field for for a minute." And by the third game of the season, he started, and he started for the next two and a half seasons because um, he, he was a winner. I mean, he, he he just he knew how to get things done. He knew how to play. He had a tough mentality, and and um, yeah. So he's for for a goalkeeper. I, I think it's it's a guy that, that can help win you games, and that and that that's really dodging a lot of easy questions. But that that's for a defender. Um, I think a very, very uh, underrated skill that that defenders have is is um, can you can you mark in the box? Can you find guys quickly? Um, you know, there's I've had a couple of guys in the last couple of years that that checked all the boxes in terms of uh, again what what we would call eye candy, big, great headers, long kicks. Um, what they were missing on it in the end is, is just the ability uh, that when things happen quickly, that they can, they can find guys and they can find the most dangerous guys. And, you know, one of the big keys to winning a game is, is organizing the box. 
And if you can organize, you know, your box, you're, you're going to win a lot of games just, uh, just by not having three guys run through and, and, uh, be potential scorers. So, um, you know, and for midfielder, the, you know, everything is like, oh, is he a six? Is he an eight? Is he a 10? Uh, without getting over, you know, not getting caught up too much in, in where the guy plays. Um, one of the big things that I look for in a, in a guy that plays ahead of the defenders is, uh, can they find the ball as a simple forward option? So if, if I'm a defender and I look up, is this guy, like figuratively, is he just somebody that's a big, big and bright figure that I can just find? He's easy to find and he's shown for the ball and, and he wants to bail me out of, of tough situations. It's a guy that can take the ball off the backs. And, you know, for a guy that plays higher up the field, like a 10, you know, can they score goals? Can they, can they get your points? Can they make assists? Can they make connections? And can they get around the field? Um, and, and for forwards, I mean, if you can score goals, you're okay <laughs> in my book. That's it's pretty simple know, that's one. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, All right. Let's, uh, let's stop there for a second. Let's just take a quick break and we'll okay. be back in a second. Okay. And we're back. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, really awesome hearing, you know, every single individual position kind of your, your thought process on that. And, you know, we, I, I feel like we could do a whole podcast about you know what you're looking for specifically in a six or an eight but you know um in in general it sounds like you're just looking for guys that that are confident on the ball um and and know what they're doing you know and then are that next level player that's gonna you know uh push a program forward because we talk a lot about with guys that want to go play in college and things like that and uh we're we're a very small school you know um we're filling a roster between 18 and 30 kids um right and there isn't that level of competition. There's competition, but there isn't a level you're going to see at say like a D one program, like Ryder. Um, sure. and that is something I think a lot of guys that do make that jump. Um, that is that from the guys we've had on is the, that's the adjustment is that you are competing every single day to, to earn that spot and earn that playing time. Yeah. Well, coach, I would say actually it's a problem we had, um, the last couple of years because there were, there was a, there was a, a bit of a drop off after, let's say, you know, player thirteen, and mm-hmm. no, you're, you're exactly right that, um, you know, and as a coach, you, you can probably, in theory, this doesn't sound like like the right answer, but um, sometimes a guy that is is more talented knows that he's not going to be challenged for a spot, and knows that it's really hard to have him come off the field because the guy that goes in for him doesn't teach him a lesson mm-hmm. because he doesn't perform either. And, and that, that performance all starts in training, doesn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. just trying to, just trying to take minutes away from, uh, you know, from the guys that, uh, you know, that, that are your teammates and, you know, in, in training, it, it's like, you gotta be, you just gotta be doing the little things right. Um, which is some of the things that I saw, you know, when I was watching the, the film of your team, it's just some of the little things that, that I picked up on um, that, that if, if coaches want to have guys out on the field or guys want to be out on the field, they have to do all, they have to do a, a ton of little things the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you said, it, it starts in training and, and, you know, we, we out in New Egypt have, you know, two coaches for every single player on the field and, 
and we, we do, you know, we're, we're, it's our responsibility to be on top of those things, but you can't get every single thing. And I think that's really where having the leaders in the field um, are so important. Um, uh, you know, guys like when I played like Tommy Carr that, you know, you, you could slack off in practice and guess what? Two seconds later, he was going to be on top of you. Having those types of leaders yeah. in your program is so important for those to push those guys that are maybe, you know, there isn't the guy behind them that's going to push them. They just need those, you know, the captains and leaders and, and people in that program to be on top of them. Cause you know, I say it all the time, like they can hear my voice a million times, but the minute, you know, a peer says it, it's a completely different uh, message. No, no, I mean, no, no doubt. And, and, you know, there's a, uh, I, I always say on a team, there, there's, uh, you know, bad chemistry is, is like, is like carbon monoxide in the sense that like you can't see it, you, you mm-hmm. can't taste it, uh, or smell it, but it's there. And it's hard to even measure. But when, when a guy's not doing all the little things that they're supposed to do, um, they don't even realize it, but they're draining the guy next to them. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it, it I really believe subconsciously that the guy next to him is is, is taking just a few plays off um, because he, he he feels why should I you know why should I and and I, and I really do believe on a, on a, the difference between um, good teams and and teams that are just average is is that you have that little you have that little feeling on the team that there's uh, there's just a couple guys that are just taking your energy away. And then the other thing with regards to having a leader out on the field is uh, I've always told our team is that if you're going to be the leader, make sure that, that your house is clean too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, don't be, a, don't be a hypocrite because no one's going to, no one's really going to listen to you in the end when, um, when you're trying to be a leader and, and you know, you guys know that you're taking shortcuts. Yeah, it's hard to be the guy that's like, hey, pick your head up. You need to do better. Like, can't mope. And then you miss the shot, and all of a sudden your head's down. Uh, you have to practice what you preach. Yeah, of course. Sure. So, who are some, yeah. of the, some of the leaders you've had on your teams um, that you, you know, kind of stand out to you? Uh, and everyone has a different leadership style. What, what were their styles? And can you point to any specific instances where you saw their effective leadership? Um, you know, immediately, I think of, uh, so, so, you know, I was at, this is my, it's going to be tenth year. I'm at Ryder, and when I came, um, <laughs> this isn't for this isn't for um, my uh, my benefit. But uh, when I came, we weren't too good, and we slowly but surely got some better guys in. It, it, I, I, the guy that just jumps out at me right away was uh, Elliot Abmani, who just um, who just finished his career not last year but the year before. Um, and with with Elliot on the team, we we won three out of four. Uh, conference championships um one he he cared about the guys on the team he was the kind of guy that if, you, if we have a slogan in, in the locker room so my, my problem is your problem wait a second your sorry your problem is my problem meaning that you know um if you, if you have something that's going on uh everybody everybody should know about it or at least everybody should be aware of it and everybody should be willing to help that's that's what makes a team great. I mean, that's what makes being on a team. It, it separates you from, you know, from the guy that's working in, you know, a job after school. Uh, if you have that experience. As Elliot was that kind of guy. Um, so he wound up one of the leading scorers um, in the, in Ryder's history. Uh, but he was also a guy that just, 
that stepped up at the right moments too. It was a, you know, it was a big player. So he, what, uh, what made him, I think what, what makes him a leader is more than anything was that, you know, he cared. Uh, he cared about people. And, and I think that's the number one quality of a leader. And those, those things you can't fake, you know, um, they, they come naturally. I like to watch, I like to watch, uh, a lot of documentaries on leaders in other fields and I was watching the one on, on Ulysses S. Grant and, and yeah, that's what, that's what you got from Grant. He, he was a regular guy and, and, uh, he cared about his troops and, and they, they, they fought their, their tails off for the guy. Yeah. That was, that was an awesome documentary, by the way, as a history teacher, I was, I was really into that one, but yeah, that's right. You're a history teacher. And I, it's funny you bring up Grant because I think, Something that Grant, you know, was you know, a strong point of his character, and something we really try to promote. You know, we have our um, we have our core values: Irish intensity, re- uh, resilience, innovation, speed, honesty. But we always say the honesty part is the most important because being honest with each other and, and developing that trust that you can be honest with each other. Um, that, that's what you can't lie to people. You can't be like all oh, happy go lucky. You're the best on the team. You're doing so great. When they know they're not, and they know you're just kind of. Um, you know, faking, faking a smile. Um, so that honesty sure. part and, and, and holding each other accountable becomes so important so that you can tell someone, Hey, you need to do better. And they aren't defensive about it. They are, they are knowing that's coming from a place of love. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's really important in, in today's world because we don't have as much, we really don't have as much contact with people as, as we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody needs to be loved. <laughs> that's for sure yeah and, and it's so easy to just kind of be like it's it's so much easier to just turn an eye in your blind eye and be like no you're fine you're fine you're fine no you were right in that argument no you you did what you had to do oh coach is wrong no the other player is wrong um it's really difficult but really important to tell the person that you are friends with that you were close with that they are wrong or that they need to do better uh it takes a lot of courage yeah. and it takes uh like we said to have that that honest relationship to, to be able to do something like that yeah and and you know, we also say that while the game's going on, you have two seconds to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes that might be when the ball's out of bounds or when the ball's away, but you've got, you've got two seconds to solve that problem because there, there's, uh, there's no time to solve it during the game. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why training is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and going into kind of what something you brought up today. Um, with your uh, how we want to play uh, format that you've been creating and, and kind of uh, the mental aspect of, of forming a, a team. Um, you know, what are some ways that you're able to f- kind of foster that team identity and spirit? You know, I, I think it's important for teams to know how they're going to play, but it's also important for teams to, to be close. And we talk a lot about having a common language uh, on the field. I sent you some stuff about the way we kind of map out our, uh, our kill zones and how we want to attack and, but being on the same page and having that identity as a team and your playing style, you know, how do you kind of uh, year after year having new players come in and out and things like that? How do you foster that identity on your team? I mean, I, I think it starts with saying that we'd rather have the ball than not have the ball, mm-hmm. and that um, you know we we want to attack and we want everybody we want everybody to to play a part in it, and so. I, I use the word simple and early. Play the ball simple and play it early, uh, because if if that's if that's the mentality that you think with, and it's you know it, it's not always one hundred percent foolproof. Like you, know, you 
you can't always just say, well, I'm going to play this, this ball simple and early right now. It may not be the right ball, but for the most part, that's what works. And, and so if it's a men, if it's an attacking mentality where people are thinking about sharing the ball, it's a lot easier to come to training every day as opposed to, um, you know, and there's a lot of teams that, that are good at just, you know, sitting back, destroying, scoring on, on free kicks and, and, um, and, and corners. Um, but I think it's, it's, I, I mean, if we're going to do this every day, we might as well enjoy what we're doing. And I don't know too many guys that have said, nah, I don't really want to have the ball at my feet. I don't really want to play attacking style mm-hmm. for the other teams. You know, and listen, um, we, we did a zoom cast to start coaching staff with, with, uh, Chris Armis and the Red Bulls. And, um, you know, they're, they're, their theory is that they like the other team to have the ball, but what the young guys need to understand is that that stuff that, that stuff comes before you've mastered a lot of little things, and and that's where I think this generation is 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 missing out on is is they want to jump right to tactics before they understand the the four or five hundred little things that you need to do to, to become an accomplished player. Yeah, I think that the the Liverpool is really you know taking the top off that with the whole counterattacking teams or too defensive or things like that. Cause Liverpool loves to counter, but when they counter those, those flowing plays are, are, you know, technically brilliant, you know, watching Mane and Salah yeah. and those guys, like the things they're doing are at a extremely high level. They're not booting a route one and then trying to poke a, a ball in, you know, one-on-one no. with a keeper, you know, you, you can do these things. Yeah. But you need to have that base level skill to be able to accomplish something like that. Yes. Not only skill, but, but, but just, uh, understanding mm-hmm. of 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 how to play, and 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 the understanding comes from, you know, again, hundreds of little plays, which is, which is something I learned from Manny Shellside, and is that you know his he's his one of his he's got so many axioms, but one of them is uh, step one to becoming a good player is you and the ball. Step two is you, the ball, and somebody else. And he said there's there's a lot of players that never get to step two because they don't know. They really don't know how to get their head up and combine with someone else. So it's, it's about getting your head up and, and not only wanting the ball, but, but also wanting, wanting to, to play it off early. So everyone's a part of, of what's going on. I love that. That's, that's awesome. We're definitely going to, we're going to be stealing that one. That's a, it's a really great accident. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you create the identity, you have these common themes and, and these ideas and concepts. How do you bring, you know, you're coming in year after year, new guys coming in, freshmen coming in. How do you create that, you know, off the field? How do you create that identity and that, that feeling of, of purpose and team in your programs? Uh, it's, um, it's funny because, um, <laughs> we always, uh, we always make the, I always make the, um, statement to the players that, um, you, you don't develop team chemistry through pasta parties. You, you mm-hmm. develop team chemistry by winning a game on the road. And, you know, it, it's that's funny you say that. It's a thing we've been talking about. Sorry. It's funny you say that. Sorry? It's kind of a theme that's been running through a lot of our, our, uh, podcasts is the, uh, I have this theory and I've brought it up numerous times that like the best teams have a song that they play together after a road win on the bus ride home. And that, right, you know, when, right. when you have a team that plays that song and everyone's dancing to it after a big win on the road, you've got something. Yeah. There. Right. But it's what you do during the game mm-hmm. on the road. 
that gets you there. Yeah, you know, that, that, for for sure. I mean, but um, yeah, no, we we, we were uh, lucky. I mean, we had, uh, before this year we had a um, we had a, a five year record. We won thirty five games in five years on the road, which is you know, it's just that that was that was quite good. Um, winning thirty five games um, mm-hmm. on the road. But what I'm saying is, is that it, it still has to start with good, good people and good habits on the field, uh, unselfish people. And then, you know, you can always develop that little chemistry uh, in the in the locker room and, and, and have fun and, and do little things. But, but for me, it, it, it still starts with what we're doing on the field, what we're doing with with the soccer and mm. um yeah, when you win, team chemistry is a lot easier. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, that's, I think, uh, one of the struggles, struggles with youth sports, you know, listening to a lot of guys like Gary Kernin and guys talk about, uh, and these podcasts and these videos that, you know, we've all been watching a million of over quarantine is, is that, um, at the youth level, especially that the winning versus development and that it, you want kids to develop and they want to get better and things like that but it's hard to develop kids that continually want to play if they're, they're not winning. And I think that's the struggle. Yeah. A lot of uh, coaches are having at the youth level with that. And winning makes a lot of things go away. Yeah. A lot of things go away and it hides a lot of uh, bad things though as well. Sure. Yep. Sure does. So, um, all right. Um, I think that's all we've got for today, except for, you know, the last question we've kind of been asking everyone, um, We'll alter yours a little bit, but what is the single best piece of advice you would give to a player um, looking to play at the the Division One level? Hmm, I'm going to think about that for a second. Um, I mean, you re- really bring your really bring your technical level to to the to the best level you can get it, mm-hmm. and I I think. That might be the, one of the biggest problems with uh, with you know our kids, not not our kids at Ryder, but just our our, our kids in in uh, in this country. Um, is that one we 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 don't really have a, a a model base for what to do, but I don't think we put enough time in 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 really getting better with the ball because uh, that that being able to do something with the ball. Solves a lot of problems, um, and and I think if if you're going to play at at a Division One level, and listen, there's various levels of Division One, and and um, you know we're we're a mid major level team. We we've got guys on our team that so a Division One player doesn't you know they don't stand out differently than uh, say a Division Three player. I mean, it's not like one has blonde hair and the other has red hair. You say mm-hmm. that's a Division One player. The other guy's a Division Three player. Um, uh, for for us, we have a lot of guys that, that probably did come um, as quote Division Three players, um, and and so um, I would say the biggest difference is is that you have to have the technique. You have to be willing to put in the time. Um, and just get used to the just get used to a more physical and 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 faster game. But having the technical base will will help you solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just putting in the time during practice is is just really isn't enough if you're going to develop that technical ability. And I, it's funny because you know it's something we do focus on, but 
you know, in the, in the midst of a, a three month season, you're doing this, that, and the other thing. Um, we've actually been doing these virtual lessons and that's been really interesting to kind of work more as like a, a one-on-one trainer with some yeah. of these guys and, and working yeah. with their technical skills. It's been really kind of a change of pace, but a, a rewarding one, I thought. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, um, we, we, we've tried to do the same thing, um, with our team. We try to keep them and try to keep them moving and keep them short, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's helped us out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, our plan before all this was kind of to move more towards that in the summers with, you know, we, we want to do a million different tactical things and install this new play and, and how we're going to run it. But right. I think we're, we're kind of leaning towards, like you said, making that move to, you know what, we're just going to play small sided technical games, you know, um, and, and really work on that technique. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up and, and that these guys are hearing that, that that is important. It's not just showing up for the two hours of your practice when we're doing, you know, set pieces, you, you got to go home and you got to be on the ball as much as possible. Right. Right. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on coach. You know, I, I, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're stopping here, but I think we could have talked for another two or three hours. I got a million other questions. So, um, you know, moving forward, you know, we'd love to have you back. And, you know, I think there's a million things we could talk about and pick your brain about. So, uh, if you if you wouldn't mind, sure. we'd love you know to maybe during the season or something after your season, we could talk a little bit about that. I, I'd say before the season, coach. Would be yeah, I, was gonna say, I said it during, and I was like, I pulled it back. <laughs> I'm in a yeah. I'm, I'm I'm in my own I'm in my own uh, world for 24 hours a day and stuff. But I would love to. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate the opportunity. And, um, yeah, would would love to uh, to get back and, and talk soccer with you guys anytime. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.